staying with us this morning. Good morning. (laughs) My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope Crossing. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, typically at Hope Crossing, we um, love when our kids are here to worship with us. And then they go and they learn about Jesus in their own language this morning because it's Mother's Day. And we like to find any excuse that we can get to, to have our kids stay with us because uh, we believe that it's the parents that are to be the spiritual leaders and directors in the lives of their kids. And so it's important that they know that they're a part of the church. And it's important to us that they learn to come and be in church and worship, worship with us as a part of the church. And so this morning, uh, they're going to be staying with us. So um, I'm going to try my best to, to keep it a little bit short for the kiddos, okay? Don't throw your crayons at me if I go overboard, all right? Um, so this morning, we continue in our series that we are calling, um, I Want to Believe But. I want to Believe But. And I think that uh, even us as Christians, as believers, oftentimes we have poor conceptions of God. We believe wrong things about God. And I think that those that, that are not believers, and if you're here today and that's you, hey, this is a great place to be. This is a great place to explore. This is a great place to ask questions. Your questions are welcome here, and you are welcome here uh, to explore the claims of Jesus. And so uh, what my prayer is for you, if you are one that rejects Jesus, is that you are uh, rejecting him for um, um, reasons maybe that are uh, perhaps legitimate in your mind. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons that people uh, reject God that are not legitimate reasons. And this is what this series is all about. We're talking about four different things, God concepts that we, um, that we get wrong. Whether we're a believer or an unbeliever, we get them wrong. And, and again, my fear is that some people reject God because they think of these wrong conceptions about God. Uh, for example, the first week we talked about um, God on demand as if God is an on-demand God and that he should answer all of our prayers exactly how we want them answered and when we want them answered as if God was here to serve us. The on-demand God. What's well, not true. And the scripture shows us it's not true that we're, we're, not, we're not here to be served by God, but that we are here to serve God. So the on-demand God, like there is no, that, that is a wrong concept. Last week we talked about this idea of the killjoy God. And you've heard this before. That God is just this, this guy up in the sky and he just wants us to keep all the rules. And if we don't keep the rules, he's going to zap us. And if we don't keep the rules, then he's going to send us to hell. Well, last week we went through the scriptures and we saw that this idea of a killjoy God is just not true. This idea of a God that has all these rules, it's, it's just not reality. That, that is religion. That is religion. But relationship is different. See, religion says, can you follow the rules? Whereas relationship says, can you trust? Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about um, angry God. This is another God misconception that is very popular, that God is an angry God and that he's going to send the people to hell and he wants to send the people to hell and that he is an angry God. Well, this is a misconception we're going to get into next week. This week, we're going to be talking about uh, the goosebumps God. Like God is a God that we should be able to feel. And if I don't feel God, if I don't feel him, if I don't get the goosebumps, well, perhaps he doesn't exist. We're going to see today that this is also 
a misconception. And there's lots of misconceptions surrounding this idea of feeling God. When I was in my 20s, I was a missionary with this organization. It's a great missions organization. There's some stuff that they teach that is just dead wrong. And this is one of the things that they taught. They taught us that we could, we could know what God was doing and how he was leading us by the way we felt. In fact, we had this teacher come one time and he taught us this whole concept of if you're just quiet before God and you feel a stirring in your heart and he puts a picture in your heart perhaps, that means he's speaking to you and that you should act on that. And after he spoke to us, he did his little training. We got in these little small groups and there was like maybe 10 of us per small group. And it was about 60 people in the class. And so we'd break up into these little groups and then we would pray together together. And when we were done praying, the leader would ask us, what did you feel? (laughs) It really had, it really felt a lot more like like an occultic, um, like seance or something. It was kind of bizarre. And the guy went around the room and he asked, he would ask us, nobody, nobody in my group of 10 was answering. What did you feel? Nobody had an answer. And so he began to call people out. He said, you know, perhaps somebody in here, your, your ears are burning. Well, that's God trying to speak to you. Or perhaps God put a, a feeling in your heart or a picture on your That's God trying to speak to you. And finally, somebody spoke up and they said, I saw a picture of, of a dog. And somebody else was like, I saw a picture of a bus. And so with those two things, the, the team came together and they said, I think we're supposed to get on a bus and go to a park until we find a dog. And then God will tell us what to do from there. And then it was my turn. He pointed to me and he asked me, he said, what did you feel, man? I was like, I'm hungry. (laughs) I think we're supposed to eat lunch. (laughs) This idea that that we can feel God. And when he speaks to us and when he's close to us, that we have to feel him with these goosebumps. It simply is not biblical. It is dangerous. Is dangerous. In fact, out of that school, not my, not my 60 people, but, but a school that was before me, but the same training and the same teacher, out of that school, you, some of you heard me tell this story before, um, a group of kids, I say kids, we were in our 20s, uh, got, on the, got on the plane, and they went to the uh, LaGuardia Airport in New York, and one of the guys was praying there in LaGuardia Airport, and he got this feeling and the feeling that it, the impression that was on his heart was that he was supposed to get naked and run around LaGuardia Airport. And so he did. And the police, they, they weren't feeling it. <laughs> they weren't feeling it. And the people that were watching weren't feeling it. And when uh, the phone call came to his leaders that were, that were back in Hawaii, they weren't feeling it. Uh, we don't think that God is the one that spoke to you to, to run naked around LaGuardia Airport. But they're the ones that taught him this. It is dangerous. Um, If you've ever been to Bible college or Christian college or around Christian single groups, you've heard this one. Uh, You have a similar story. One of the guys that was in my dormitory, he had this feeling. He was praying. Let me back up. Let me back up. You're going to know where I'm going. There was this one girl. There was this one girl. And she stood out amongst uh, uh, all the other girls. You know what I'm talking about, guys? It was that girl. And this guy was praying one day and he had this feeling that he was going to marry this girl. And so he told us, he said, God is telling me I'm supposed to marry that girl. The problem was God was telling everybody else the same thing. (laughs) See, we don't follow our feelings. 
Because our feelings change. And feelings can be dangerous. And feelings are not the test to know if God is real or not. But I think sometimes we um, get confused. We want to follow our feelings. In fact, I did a sermon just recently about this idea of following your heart. Very similar. You know, we hear in our culture, it's a very popular thing. Follow your heart and you won't make a mistake. No. No. Our heart can lie to us. Our feelings change, but, but God doesn't change. You know, we can get these tingly feelings when we're in the presence of God. And I do think that sometimes when we're in the presence of God, there is a feeling that goes along with it, but it is not the test as to whether God is present or not. See, I can get a tingly feeling watching a movie on the couch next to my wife, sitting real close. You know what I'm talking about? I get a, I get a tingly feeling. Or I can get a, a, a peaceful feeling that, that, that everything is at peace and you know, when, when the mood lighting is just right and, and, and my feet are getting massaged, I can have a feeling of peace. But that doesn't mean it was God. A good movie can, can, can make us cry, just like sometimes being in God's presence. Sometimes some people cry. A good movie can make you cry. How many cried during uh, Fast and Furious when that 69 Dodge Charger was wrecked? Yeah. <laughs> that was 2001. That was the last time I cried during a movie. Every time I see it, I just, even now, I can't. Oh, come on. The truth is not based on our feelings. Uh, when we don't feel God, um, you know, we're not alone in, in history. We're not alone amongst the saints. We're not alone amongst the authors of the scripture either. In fact, a few weeks ago, we got deeper into this passage that I'm about to read from Psalm 88. This guy who wrote Psalm 88, he was the worship leader in the temple back in the day. And he is crying out because God is not answering him. And there is a sense that he is not feeling God. Let me read Psalm 88, verse 13 and 14. But I... O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? See, he's not feeling it. He's not feeling it. But yet he still believes because he, he didn't believe. He didn't have the mindset that often we do in our culture today and even in church today. He didn't have the mindset that you, you got to feel in order to believe. See, all this stuff was happening to him, and God wasn't answering. And he wasn't feeling that he still held on. David, in the 23rd Psalms, we, uh, probably one the most popular psalm, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And there's a line where he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because God is there to comfort him. Even though he can't feel, even though that everything is telling him this is the dark, dark, terrible place. He can't feel it, yet he chooses to believe. This whole idea that we've got to feel, this, this is pretty new in Christianity. It's pretty new. And I think it's harming us. I think it's doing damage. Because if here in the church we're doing that, if we're saying, oh, we got this feeling, and I feel like God is talking to me. And then when there's those that are amongst us that are not believers, and they, they don't feel anything. Or when the day comes when you don't feel anything what's going to happen? We're going to have a crisis in faith. You know, I was reading this week uh, in the Mormon church, which radically different than Christianity. 
In the Mormon church, one of the things they teach and one of their tenets, um, if I can remember, there's a quote that one of the, one of the elders of Mormonism said recently. He said, uh, there is no archaeological test, there is no DNA test, DNA test to prove um, Mormonism. Religion must be based on your feelings. Well, that's not true of Christianity. Uh, one time I was, uh, I was, I was 18 and uh, I was, uh, maybe I was a little, I think I was 20. I was just off of my uh, time, my first year of Bible school. And so I, you know, thought I knew a lot about the Bible and I was going to talk to these Mormons. I saw them coming down the street and, and I was very curious to, to know what they, uh, what they believed because I had not really studied. So I was going to let them in and I did. I let them in and, and they talked for about 35 minutes. And at the end, they give you a book. And I, I was very gracious and it sounded all legitimate. Again, I didn't really study it that much at that point. And so they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And when we pray, if you feel a feeling, a tingly feeling like in your heart, then that's confirmation that everything we've told you is true. And so we prayed. And they asked me if I felt anything. Again, I'm hungry. (laughs) I'm hungry. So I feel I'm hungry. So uh, I, uh, they asked me afterwards, they said, hey, do you have anybody in your life that would um, want to hear this message as well? And so right away, I thought of my friend Randy in California, one of my best buddies that I grew up with. And I said, yeah, I know his address. You guys go to his house and he'll be home on Tuesday afternoons between 12 and 5. I knew his schedule. And so you guys go and visit him. He would love to hear from you. And so um, a few months later, I kind of forgot about it. And my, my buddy Randy, Randy, he said, oh, hey, uh, some Mormons came to my house. And I said, oh yeah, tell me about it. And he said, well, these two very cute, uh, blonde 20-year-olds came to my door. They know how to work it. The Mormons know how to work it. And uh, he was like, so I let them in. Of course, I let them in. And I just wanted to keep them in my house as long as I could. And they just kept talking and talking and talking. And in the end, um, you know, he just was so happy to be with these, you know, two young, pretty girls. And at the end, they uh, said, oh, can we pray with you? And, and, and one of them grabbed his hands. And the other one put his hand, her hand on, on his shoulder. And, and they prayed. And, and my friend Randy felt the Holy Ghost in that moment. <laughs> He was tingly all over, you know. And at the end, he was thinking, what, didn't the Bible say something about a holy kiss or something? Or Adam and Eve in the garden? And, and he, of course, he had these tingly feelings, but it wasn't confirmation that, that God was doing something. He just was Randy, that's all. <laughs> Randy. See, our faith, it does not depend on how we feel. Our faith isn't a test. In fact, um, as we get into this, we're going to see that our faith is really, it's built on evidence. It's built on evidence. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who was an author, and died in, I think it was 1963, he died. He was a Christian author, much respected. He talks about a time in his life where he didn't feel God, and it caused him doubt. Now, doubt is not our enemy. Doubt can be a good thing because it drives us deeper. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. He said, he said I-, I felt a door slammed in my face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. He didn't feel God. He felt God had closed the door. Uh, Truth is, as Christians and as people of the Bible, we believe that God is omnipresent. And that means that he is everywhere all at the same time. He's everywhere. 
And I think what that means is that when we're not feeling it, that there's something in us that has changed. Uh, In the Old Testament, God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. And he says this, I am God at hand, declares the Lord. And not far away can a man hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heaven and the earth, declares the Lord. I think sometimes we uh, don't feel God because we don't recognize what he's doing in his work. I think perhaps for us and God, I, I think it's a lot like trying to convince a fish about what water is. <laughs> How do you convince a fish well, what water is? Well, the scripture tells us that, that God is everything. He breathes life into everything. And so he's all around us. He's in us and he's the air that we breathe. But we sometimes just don't recognize. And I think sometimes we look for more. Perhaps that we don't recognize God and that we don't feel perhaps it has a lot more to do with us. I think that we tend to over-sensationalize. Like we want something bigger and better. We want God to, to ride in the sky, like, like sky riding. Or, or like he did in the Old Testament once. <laughs> in the Old Testament his finger wrote on the wall, and we want him to speak like that to us. Or like Moses in the burning bush, we, we want to feel the fire that is God. Well, there's only a few times in Scripture where we see God so present like that, that, that he was felt. Over maybe nine or 10,000 years of biblical history, there's just a few times where people reported that they, there was actually this, this feeling of God that they could have. It's not a normative thing. I think sometimes we get stuck seeking an experience versus seeking God. And there's a very real sense that we get stuck seeking the gift instead of the giver. See, our, our, our belief, our faith is not, it is not based on, based on experience. In the New Testament, Jesus came hard against a group of people that asked for a sign. Essentially, they were asking for an experience. And Jesus spoke to them. He said, uh, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah was the resurrection. Remember Jonah, he was in the belly of the whale for, whale for three days. And remember Jesus was, was in, the, in the belly of the earth for three days. He says, I'm not going to give a sign. In fact, Jesus had already given plenty of signs. People were healed, miracles were done, yet the people still closed their hearts and didn't believe. If we ask God for an experience, show me, make yourself real to me. It's just us trying to run from the evidence that's already there. It's our rebellious hearts rejecting. See, the Bible talks about what we have is faith. And it's faith built on evidence. We don't need more. They didn't need more in those times. Even after the resurrection, many still didn't believe. We don't need more feelings. We don't need more experience. We need to believe deeper in the resurrection. In Romans chapter 1. Uh, Paul, who learned directly from Jesus, he says this, For his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that, we, that have been made, so they are without excuse. What's going on here is he's saying there is plenty to look at in the world, in the universe. 
the faithful uh, sunrise and sunset every day, the faithful provisions that God puts in front of us, the beautiful design. There's plenty. There is plenty. Even without the resurrection, there's plenty for us to go. There must be a God. There must be a God who cares. There must be a God who loves. This verse is saying um, we're, we're without excuse. It's not an excuse to say, I don't feel God. Uh, I think that perhaps we, um, we, we have hearts that have been hardened. In 1 Timothy 4, we learn that our hearts can be seared. Our conscience can be seared. So that when God speaks to us, we, we don't feel it anymore. This idea of being seared is like, like when you cook a really good steak. And, you, and, and the, the way that, you know, when I, I Google how to cook a good steak, it says you turn the grill all the way up, and then you, you sear it for one minute on one side, and then you sear it on the other side for one minute really high, and it seals in the juices. And then you kind of turn it down, and it cooks really well. Well, the point is that it's, 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 it's uh, keeping it tender because the juices will stay inside. And so when you sear it, something from the outside can't come in. And uh, um, it's not going to be soft anymore. And so this passage is saying that that is a very real thing that can happen to our hearts. When we are pushing away, when we are ignoring God, when we are not doing what he asks us, then our, our hearts get hard. And we can't, we can't feel, we can't hear anything anymore because we've allowed our hearts to be hardened. And you know that concept they talk about, it takes about three weeks to develop a habit. Well, they also say it takes about three weeks before you stop noticing something. And I've used this example before, like those, the, the, you know, my snow boots that are in the, sitting in the middle of my room. After three weeks of walking by them, you don't even see them anymore. And you're looking all over your house. Where are my snow boots? Well, they're right there, but you don't see them anymore. And I think that this is what happens with our hearts, is that we ignore God, we push him away, we push him away, and all of a sudden... It's there no more. The truth is our feelings can change, but, but God doesn't change. Um, I, I think that uh, perhaps we've hardened our hearts. I also think that God wants us to draw close to him. In Acts chapter 17, we read, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel, uh, uh, perhaps feel the way towards him to find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. He's not far from each one of us. We change. He doesn't change. If you're here and you've experienced this hard-heartedness that you, you just, you have no affections. I think affections for God are really good. And we could ask him to, to grow our affections for him. That is deeper than feelings, really. That is deeper than just goosebumps. If you're not feeling those affections, there, there are some things that perhaps need to change in your life. Uh, first of all, maybe you're here today and you're somebody that needs to repent. And what I mean by repent is that you've been running from God, chasing your own things, chasing other things to bring you hope, peace, and purpose. And perhaps it's time for you to turn around, repent, and run towards God. When we do that, he will soften our hearts. Perhaps um, you're here today and uh, you, you need to listen in the way that God speaks to us. 
I don't know um, that we can affirm biblically that, that, that God generally speaks to people out in nature, you know, sitting down under a tree with their Bible closed. Now, this is God's word. This is where we hear his voice. And if we haven't opened this recently and spent time in it, oh God, why aren't you speaking to me? My, my Bible's over here closed. <laughs> why aren't you speaking to me? You gotta open your Bible. And then he'll speak to you and your affections will grow. It's, it's here that, that, we, that we feel the word of God. I love the verse in the New Testament. It talks about how um, the word of God, it is God breathed. It's something that is God breathed. God breathed. And when we look at that word in the Greek, um, the, the lit- a literal uh, translation or a, a word picture is that when we look in God's word, we, we can feel the breath of God like on our necks. Man, that's a feeling I want. I want, I want to feel the breath of God on my neck. And it comes here. Not, not in some, I'm going to go sit in, in nature and meditate and, and look for the breath of God. It's when we open this that he breathes his word and his life into us. Uh, the other thing that, that we need to do, if we are not feeling the affections of God, and this one is huge in my life. I've seen this over and over again. Jesus talks about how where our treasure is, our heart will be also. And so when I'm not feeling it, I, I got to check what's going on. Where's my treasure? Where, 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 where am I putting my time? Where am I putting my resources? You know, one of the most radical, some of you won't get this. Others are going to go, yep, I know exactly what that is. When I write a big check and I give sacrificially and I drop that in the offering plate, all of a sudden my heart softens and my heart moves towards God. And I've got this feeling that is, that is an incredible feeling. Because that, that is a dangerous thing, you know, writing a check, especially when, when the ends don't look like they're going to meet. When we move our treasure towards the things of God, our, our heart moves there. Uh, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. In Jeremiah 29, um, God is speaking and he says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Again, God is not the one who changes. It is me and my feelings that changed. Christianity, not based on feelings, but it is based on evidence. It is based on facts. And when we're not feeling it, we've got to remember that. And the facts that we can look at, uh, first of all, where there is a design, there's got to be a designer. Uh, we look at creation, and, and, and from every... Uh, uh, every area of science screams design. There is a design. This cannot be a mistake. How things work together so perfectly. And I'm not talking evolution versus creation. That's for another day. That's not what I mean. Whichever side you stand on that, okay, okay. As long as God is the one who did it. As long as God is the one that designed it. Because evolution or not, there is incredible design to the universe. There is incredible design to the human body. Where there is design, there must be a designer. The other uh, fact that we can look at is is the the reality of Jesus himself. 
He was a historic figure. The Old Testament, thousands of years before Jesus was here, the Old Testament talks about this Messiah who is coming. And it talked about his life, the place that he would be born, even the way that he would die thousands of years before uh, he was here. Um, Jesus said he was God. He performed miracles. He died on a Roman cross. And that is historic. You you can look that up. He died on a Roman cross. Uh, Three days later, he came back to life. As one uh, historian said, this is the most attested to event in all of ancient history. There are more writings. There's more, more books. There's more testimony to the idea that there was this resurrection than anything else in ancient history. Do you know that it took 600 years after the time of Alexander the Great for anything about him and his life to be written down? 600 years. Yet we go, oh, Alexander the Great, oh yeah, that, that was real, that, that he was real, he existed. Yet we look at Jesus and we go, oh man, 30 years, only 30 years after the time of Christ did the first writings come, come out. And some uh, historians say that it was only 15 years. That's pretty phenomenal for ancient history. Uh, check this out, uh, you know, the, the, the Crusades that happened in, in the 1000s to about the 12,000s. Um, the first writings about the Crusades didn't come out till the 1890s. <laughs> That's 800 years later. Yeah, we look back and we go, oh yeah, those, those happened absolutely. 800 years. Yet, within 15 to 30 years, the first writings about Jesus came out. That's pretty phenomenal for ancient history. Um, the world hasn't been the same since the resurrection. The world was turned upside down. Um, This is the facts that we look at, and it's not our feelings, but it's the verifiable facts of the the resurrection. See, our faith is not, it is not, it is not based on feelings. It's based on fact. The Spirit's guiding us. It's not based on feelings. It's based on His Word right here. I think some of us need to stop um, nitpicking and looking out here for guidance for God's voice out here, or a tingly feeling for God to guide us. I think we need to open this, and we need to know what God is telling us and how he's guiding us. Um, Jesus claimed that he was God. And Jesus claimed that his death would be something radical. Jesus claimed to be the king. Um, after the time of Jesus, we, we learned in a sense, the rest of the story. Yeah, he was God himself, and he proved that when he rose from the dead. And the reason he came was for us. See, the story of Scripture is that we have been in rebellion, that humankind, we're in rebellion against God. And God is a loving God who pursues. And so he came down in the form of man as Jesus, fully God, fully human, See, it would take somebody who was fully God to represent man and be fully man, and it would have to be somebody who was flawless. Because if he was dying for his own sins, then it would be just. He should have died on the cross. But he had no sin. He had no rebellion. We did. And as a human, he represented us on the cross. And so the gift of salvation, the gift of eternity, the gift of us getting to be a part of the kingdom of God is a free gift based on what Jesus did for us, based on the historical fact of the cross. 
At Hope Crossing, we celebrate communion every week. When we celebrate communion, it's because we're celebrating what happened on the cross. And what happened on the cross, again, was, is that he took the punishment. should have been for us. It should have been us. He took it. And when he died on the cross, um, in a sense, we were, we were set free. Scripture talks about how we were once prisoners, prison, in prison to our sin. But on the cross, he set us free. And so what he asks of us is not that we follow a whole bunch of rules. <laughs> he doesn't ask of us that we, we follow our hearts. What he asks is that we become submissive to him as king. What he asks is that we acknowledge him as the king. And so if you're here today and you you haven't done that, perhaps you haven't done that because you haven't felt it. Well, you might not. You might never feel it. Still, today might be the day that you submit to him as king. Um, Perhaps you're here today and you've been looking um, for feelings to guide you. Maybe you ought to repent of that because that just isn't scriptural. Um, Today, before you come and take communion, uh, I would ask that if you um, have not submitted to Jesus as the king, do that today. Do that today. And then you're welcome to take communion with us. If you have not done that, hey, this communion thing, it's for us. What we do is we, we take a piece of the bread, which represents and helps us remember the body of Christ. And we dip it in the cup, which represents and helps us remember the blood of Christ. And then we take it into ourselves, and it is representatives, representative of us taking in what Jesus did on the cross for us. Uh, let me pray, and then uh, we can come. When, 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 you, when you're ready, you can come. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the verifiable truth of the resurrection. Father, reveal to us yourself. God, as we take communion this morning, we we receive your gift. We receive your gift and we submit to you as the king because of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Come when you're ready.